Let us again pray. Father in heaven, as we come now to open your word, as we begin this morning looking at the book of Kings, we ask, O Lord, that you would bless us, that you would help us to understand your word this morning. And see how one of David's sons said he would be king. And Lord, many times we say the same thing, that we will be king when it is Jesus who is our king. Father, we pray and ask that you would bless this morning the reading, hearing, and preaching of your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're able to remain standing, please remain standing and take your copies of God's word and turn with me to First. Kings chapter 1. First Kings 1, we'll begin at verse 1 and read to verse 10. And now the word of God, it is infallible, it is inerrant, it is God speaking to us. So let us pay close attention. Attention. Now King David was old and advanced in years. And although they covered him with clothes, he could not get warm. Therefore his servant said to him, Let a young woman be sought for my lord the king, and let her wait on the king and be in his service. Let her lie in your arms, that my lord the king may be warm. So they sought for a beautiful young woman throughout all the territory of Israel and found Abishag the Shunammites and brought her to the king. The young woman was very beautiful and she was of service to the king and attended to him, but the king knew her not. Now Adonijah, the son of Haggith, exalted himself saying, I will be king. And he prepared for himself chariots and horsemen and 50 men to run before him. His father had never, had never any time displeased him by asking, Why have you done thus and so? He was also a very handsome man. And he was born next after Absalom. He conferred with Joab, the son of Zeruiah, and with Abiathar, the priest. And they followed Adonijah and helped him. But Zadok, the priest, and Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, and Nathan, the prophet, and Shammai, and Rai, and David's mighty men were not with Adonijah. Adonijah sacrificed sheep, oxen, and fattened cattle by the serpent's stone, which is beside in Rogel. And he invited all his brothers, the king's sons, and all the royal officials of Judah. But he did not invite Nathan the prophet, or Benaiah, or the mighty men, or Solomon, his brother. The grass withers and the flower fades away, but the word of our God endures forever. You may be seated. Two Lord's Day evenings ago, we finished up with 2 Samuel. And at the end of 2 Samuel, we saw David building an altar. He was building an altar where God told him to build it. And 
the exact place where the temple would one day be built. And he was building that altar to offer sacrifices to God because of his sin and taking a census of the fighting men of Israel. And so this morning we move on into 1 Kings and we see David is an old man. David is about to die. Now before we get to our text, what are some introductory matters to take care of here this morning? Well, first of all, who wrote the book of Kings? And yes, both 1 and 2 Kings, they are considered to be one book. Jewish tradition tells us that it was Jeremiah who wrote the book of Kings as well as Lamentations as well as the prophecy under his name. And we find in, in first or in Joshua and Judges, first and second Samuel and first and second Kings, that they are, are very similar. And they de- develop theological ideas that we find expressed way back in the book of Deuteronomy. And so all these books put together are often called a Deuteronomic history. Now, tradition tells us it was Jeremiah, but we are not quite sure who wrote this book. When was this book written? Well, indications are that the books are the, that the books were compiled from historical sources during the time of the Jews when they were in exile in, in Babylon. The second Kings ends with the last king of Judah, of Judah Jehoiakim of being detained in Babylon. And there's no mention of the return from the people from exile in 538 B.C. And so probably this book was finished, the the book of Kings was finished at the midpoint of the Babylonian captivity. Then what are some characteristics? What are some themes we should be looking out for? First of all, Kings... Is history. We should view it as such. It, it is an historical book. We'll find the, the author is fond of recording in detail many features of the history of Israel. There'll be dates, there'll be figures, there'll be institutions of the kingdom of Israel that will appear throughout first and second kings. And, and the writer will give to us his, his length or the length of reign for the, for the monarchs in both the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. For it is in the book of Kings that we will see them separated. But we also need to understand that the book of Kings is theology. It's not just history. It is a, a work of theology. We will find in the book of Kings, a reflection on God's ways with His people Israel. And He will remind them throughout that He was the one who delivered them from Egypt. We will see the people of God as God's elect. Now we know Israel was not any better than any of the other nations. Israel did not first choose God. God chose Israel. God chose Abram to make a great nation out of him. And God separated them from among the peoples 
of the earth according to His grace. We will see a focus on the servants of God, the prophets. Now the main reason the author of Kings includes the servants of God, the prophets, and how they play a major role in the monarchy of Israel and in writing about the prophets is this. He wants us to understand their ministry as bearers of God's word. How they would come to kings and, and to the people of God and say, thus saith the Lord. We will find there is one God and one sanctuary. Now we know there is one God. We worship Him this morning. But for the, the writer of, of Kings, he, he brings out that, the, that Yahweh is, is, is Lord over the universe. He's ruler over the kingdoms of the earth. He is the one supreme God. And for that one supreme God, there is to be in Israel one central sanctuary. We will hear of covenant and kingship. We will hear of both the Mosaic and Davidic covenants. They will figure prominently in kings. And, and the author will evaluate the kings of Israel uh, mainly in how they were living up to the standards of the Mosaic covenants. And we'll have a chronolog uh, chronology. The book of Kings is filled with chronological data. It covers the history and demise of the, of the monarchy in Israel from the last days of David to the Babylonian captivity. And so the book of Kings covers 400 years. And so this morning we begin, and what do we find? David, David is dying. And so the first thing I want us to see from our text this morning is that feeble decline of David. Again, when we left him, he was building an altar. He was building an altar to sacrifice to Jehovah. And now we come to 1 Kings, and he's old and advanced in years. The books of 1 and 2 Samuel, they, they were dominated by the king, kingship of David. But now the author of King tells us that David was old and advanced in years and although they covered him with clothes, he could not get more. Now David was among the greatest earthly kings. He probably was the, the greatest earthly king. From the time that he was a young man, he performed many heroic acts. He killed lions and bears. He killed the giant Goliath. He conquered kingdoms. He conquered peoples. He, he had them come and bow before him as king of Israel. But now he is old. He is feeble. All of his former greatness is gone. And it was all that, that he could do to try to be born in bed. And so the servants of David, they, they had a remedy for that, that coldness. They go to seek for a, a young woman, a virgin woman, to be sought for the service of David. 
That she would wait on the king. That she would be in service to the king. That he, she would lie in his arms to, to keep him warm. Now, now, this employment of this young lady by the name of Abishai. Abishag is one, commentator says, this employment of her as a human hot water bottle raises more questions than answers. Now, some believe that David actually married this young woman. Others do not. But we find the servants of David trying to keep him warm. The, the, whole, the whole situation uh, seems to be charged with, with sexuality. But we find David is what? He's old. He's feeble. He's not the same man that knew Bathsheba and fathered Solomon. He's not the same man that knew other women and fathered many other sons. No, David is about to die. He is on his deathbed and soon he will be buried. And so that in and of itself shows one of the inherent limitations of, of kingship in ancient Israel. Kings are going to come and they're going to go. They're going to be born and they're going to die. All the kings of Israel will die, throwing the, the kingship in question for each new generation of the people of God. And so here is David, the best of Israel's Kings, and yet even he goes down to the grave where his body remains to this day. Therefore, what we find here in these first four verses of First Kings chapter one is this: David could never be the ultimate king for God's people. There will be one greater than David. Then, second of all, we hear of one of David's sons, Adonijah. And he makes this declaration, I will be king. And so as David's life is coming to, the, to an end, the servants of David was probably wondering, who's going to be king next? Who will take the place of David? They, we know that there have already been two attempts, by, by, one by Absalom, David's son, to take the throne away from David. That ended in, in, in civil war. It ended in Absalom's death. But then soon after, there was the uprising of, of Sheba, the Benjaminite. As he too sought to take the throne from David. And so here's Adonijah saying the same thing, that he would be king. Now, according to God, who is the rightful successor? To the throne. Well, it is Solomon. As we know, God doesn't always choose the oldest son to be king. We see that and we saw that in the choosing of David. Children, you saw that this last week in the choosing of David. That God doesn't look on the outward, but on the inward. To choose his king. But where do we find that God chose Solomon? Turn over to to 1 Chronicles chapter 22. Here Solomon is charged to build a temple. And notice verses 9 and 10. 
Behold, a son shall be born to you who shall be a man of rest. And I will give him rest from all his surrounding enemies. For his name shall be Solomon, and I will give peace and quiet to Israel in his days. He shall build a house for my name. He shall be my son, and I will be his father. And I will establish his royal throne in Israel forever. And so for God, Solomon was the man. Solomon would be the one to succeed his father. But as we go back to our text, it is Adonijah, the oldest living son of David, that now says he will be king. All before him had died. Absalom, the others, they all were dead. So in line of succession, Adonijah would have been the next man up. Notice what it says of him in verse 6, that he was a very handsome man. We've heard of that before with another of David's sons, Absalom. And we see that Adonijah followed much in his brother's footsteps as Absalom desired to be king. Now he desires to be king. And so he decides in verse 5 and he says, I will be king. And dramatically the word I is in the emphatic position. He's saying, I and no one else will be king over Israel. Now you see, his decision to be king was not made for the glory of God. It was made for his own glory. As we will see, he does not submit to the prophet of God. He does not submit to the word of God. Now how do we know that it is made, this decision to be king is made for his own glory? Well, first, he prepared for himself chariots and horsemen, as verse 5 tells us. And 50 men to run before him. If you wanted to be important, you would get chariots and horsemen and you would have men running before you, showing the world how important you were. Declaring to the world, oh, look at him. Here comes someone very important. And that's exactly what he is doing. But then the second reason we know that he is doing this for his own glory is the fact that he sought to gain support from some of the most powerful leaders in all of Israel. But not the right leaders. In verse 7, we read that he conferred with Joab. Now we have heard of Joab a lot. He was once the commander of David's army. But do you remember what Joab did to Absalom? He killed Absalom, David's son. Now it was done in battle. He was doing it to protect the interest of David, even though David could not see that. But yet from that moment on, David did not have much use for Joab. He put another man as commander of his army. And so uh, Abba, uh, Adonijah goes to Joab and he, he confers with him. He then goes to Abiathar, the priest. And Abiathar also is making a, a, a power grab. He was one of David's oldest associates. He was a man in Abiathar, the priest, who was with David from the very beginning. And so we can say that Adonijah had friends in high places. He had a powerful military leader. He had a powerful religious 
leader who could help him get what he wanted, or at least what he thought he could get was what he wanted. But then the third way we know that he was seeking his own glory is found in verse 9. He makes himself, uh, he honors himself by making a public display of his personal wealth and his religious commitments. He brings out his sheep, his oxen, and his fattened cattle. And he sacrifices them. These would have been his personal animals that he sacrificed. That shows us that he had wealth. That he was a man of means. But also he says, I am religious as he goes. And he sacrifices these animals by the serpent stone. And notice he invited all the, his brothers, the king's sons, and the royal officials of Judah. But he did not invite others. And we'll get to those in a moment. And so he promotes himself. Why? To strengthen his political position. But at the same time, he's trying to give off the, the fact that he is deeply religious. He's sacrificing to Jehovah. Now go back to verse 6 for a moment. In verse 6, we read his father as David had never any time displeased him by asking, what have you done? Or why have you done thus? And so. Now what is God telling us there? That Adonijah was a spoiled brat. There's no way to mince those words. That David spoiled him. That David did not ever question his son concerning what he had done or why he was doing it. So it doesn't surprise us that now, here comes Adonijah claiming and wanting the throne. And seeking to take it. As his father lays on his deathbed. But the third thing we see is the, the true king. In verses 9 and 10, we, we've looked at verse 9, noticing how he sacrificed his own sheep and, and oxen, how he sacrificed his own fattened cows. And, and, and we see now that he is not to be king. Now what Adonai should have done is remember what we learned in the, in the first question and answer in the short of catechism. What is man's chief end? Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. He should have known that from His very name, for His very name means the Lord is my, the Lord is Master. But He never submitted to the authority of the prophet, the priest, or the king that God had established. Look at verse ten as He had this big party and invited his brothers and other royal officials of Judah, he did not invite Nathan the prophet. You see, Nathan was Israel's true prophet. Nathan was the man who went and confronted David, Adonijah's father, after David had sinned greatly with Bathsheba and against her husband Uriah the Hittite. Nathan was the true prophet of the Lord. Nor did he invite Beniah. Beniah was the captain of David's bodyguard. Nor did he invite Solomon, his own brother. 
He did not invite the man that God said would be the rightful king of Israel. And so he was seeking his own glory. He was not seeking the will of God. Yes, he had consulted his supporters, but he did not consult with the prophet of the Lord or the priest of the Lord or the king that God had anointed and that God had chosen to lead his people. And so what application can we make here this morning? Well, the first we see this in David dying, and it is this. We see that no matter how strong we may be in this life, one day we will get weaker. One day these bodies will fail. One day we will face the grave as David did. Now that is always a somber thing to think of, that one day we're going to die. That one day, as the, the prof, or as, as the writer of Ecclesiastes reminds us, we'll lose our hair, we'll lose our teeth, our joints will not work as, as well as they once did. We will not be able to hear the birds singing in the morning. Why? Because as we get older, things stop working. And one day, this body will cease to work. In the coming weeks, we will see the death of King David. But we know that the moment that King David died, he went to be with his Lord. And the same is said for any saint that dies in Christ. That the moment that these bodies cease to work and God calls us to our eternal home, that spirit goes to be with Jesus. And as Paul tells us, that is a much better place to be. And we will go as we trust in the one who is the prophet, priest, and king of God's people. And that is Jesus. Second, we find in Adonijah a little bit of ourselves if we are honest. Because there are times when we are like him. We seek our own glory instead of the glory of God. Now again, what is man's chief end? Not the Christians, but what is man's chief end? Man's chief end is to glorify God. Notice the, the, the Westminster Divine. Yes, that is the Christian's chief end as well. But it applies to everybody. How is that? Because God is creator of all. And so our chief end is to glorify God. And as we glorify God in our lives and in our doing and our thinking, then we will enjoy God forever in heaven. But when we sin against God, we are seeking our own glory. We are seeking our own way. We are saying to God, we don't like your way. I don't like your way. I would rather choose my way. Third, Solomon was called to be king. He was the one that God chose. But as we will see, not even Solomon in all of his wisdom, not even Solomon in all of the riches that he had, not even Solomon in all of the wives and concubines and servants that we will find him having, not even Solomon was the one, the king, that would bring peace. To God's people. Now yes. He would have peace in the land. For a time. But I speak of that peace. That we all need. That is the peace we need with God. 
Now Solomon is going to outdo his father in many ways. He is going to build the temple. He's going to outdo his father in many ways. And again, he's going to tell us in the book of Ecclesiastes, I, I did all of this and it was all vanity. Without knowing Christ. And he's right. All the great things that Solomon will do, all that he has, all that he possesses is vanity compared to knowing Jesus. You know, there was a man in the New Testament by the name of Paul who said something similar. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees, a Jew of the Jews. If you looked at a, a Jewish man and said, I want to be the best Jewish man I could be, you would have seen it in, in Paul. He was of the right tribe. He was a Pharisee. He followed the law of God meticulously. And what did he say that he would count all of it as? And he counted all of it as compared to the knowledge of Christ. All as dumb. Manure. And that's exactly what it is compared to knowing Jesus. You see, all the kings of Israel, they, they will fail God and they will fail God's people. But the one who is the true king of Israel, the one who is the true king of the kingdom of God this morning is the Lord Jesus Christ. And He is the rightful heir of God's kingdom. And He has done all that is necessary to secure forgiveness and redemption for God's people. This very day, Christ rules over all as the perfect King, the perfect Redeemer, the perfect Lord. Now we know the reaction of the world this morning, the kings of this earth, they rebel against the Lord, the anointed of God. And we know Jesus' reaction in heaven, He laughs. As kings and governments try to get rid of His church, he laughs because He rules over all of them. And all that He does is for the advancement of His kingdom and the advancement of His church. And oh Christian, if you are under Christ, if you know Christ this morning in faith and repentance, then you are under that gracious rule of your King. And He is a good King, and He is merciful to His people. He is not like Adam Najah who said, Oh, I will be king no matter what. No, the Lord Jesus, He has earned that right to be king. Because He is the one who laid down His life for His people. And so to know Jesus is to have life. This evening we will see Christ is the eternal Word of God from the first chapter of John's Gospel. He is the eternal Word. He is King. He is Lord. He is Redeemer. He is Savior. And He is the only one that can save us from our sin. And so if you know of Christ this morning, He was King of kings and Lord of lords. If not, come to Him in faith as you turn from your sin. And if you never come to Christ in faith, turning from your sin, then you will be just like Adonijah who rejected God's chosen king. 
for His own rule. Do not reject God's chosen King. But come in faith. And come and fall at His feet. May God add His blessing to the reading, hearing, and preaching of His Word. Let us pray. Father, we thank You this morning for Your Word. And Father, we admit many times we want to be our own King. Every time we sin against You, we are declaring, I am King, not Jesus. Oh Lord, forgive us for this. And may we, may we sit under the rule of our loving King and Lord and Savior. And Father, if there are any here this morning that does not know Jesus in faith and repentance, I ask and pray that You would change their hearts from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh. That You would call them to Your Son and they would come and fall at the feet of their King, their Lord, and their Savior. And they would do so in faith. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.